Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host, Judy Como. I am so excited to be here in the studio with Woo-hoo. you, Dennis Maka. First time in a couple of months that we've come together to do a live show, kinda. Just hadn't even, haven't even had the privilege of seeing you in the last couple of months, so it's I just know. so nice to get a hug really, from you. Uh, yeah. Same here. Uh, Dennis and I are longtime friends, and our families have grown and grown up together, and it was a emotional moment for me to see you and get that hug this morning. Very nice. Uh, Very nice. Thank you. Thanks be to God, and welcome all of our listeners. Welcome everyone to Red Sea Roundup. I want to send a personal welcome to each of our stations, KEDC 88.5 here in the Bryan College Station area. We welcome the Waco Central Texas KYAR 98.3. I'm betting, you know, I'm a gambling girl, and I'm betting that Robin is listening in. So hello, Robin Waters, our station manager over there in Waco. And welcome also to KINF 107.9 Palestine. Folks, if you are listening, and I hope you are, hang on for a wonderful, exciting conversation about evangelization and discipleship. I will be interviewing Marcel Lejeune and talk about his book, The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practice, Practical Evangelization. Can't wait for that conversation in the second part of the show. Also want to welcome our station manager here in the Bryan College Station area calling in, Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Judy. How you doing? I'm doing great. It was uh, howdy, Thaddeus. Just so exciting, just to drive into town and excuse me, look around, see how things are and are not in this local area here, and how the our life as we navigate through the waters of a relaxed, more relaxed shelter in place. Uh, we have a very exciting, positive show to talk about. Um, I'm going to end this segment with day five of the Novena to the Holy Spirit. Many parishes uh, are going to experience some of the quotation marks Easter Vigil mm-hmm. experiences. We'll have uh, our church is about to get bigger this Saturday, at least here locally, and I know several other parishes that are going to utilize the Pentecost vigil to take care of some of those things. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking very forward to that. Indeed, indeed. What is a novena, by the way, Judy? Well, that again for those who don't know. Exactly. Uh, a novena typically is a nine day of prayer uh, pointing towards a, a particular event. And um, at Jesus's ascension, He told the disciples, go back to the upper room and pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And 
Ascension Thursday, the next day begins this particular novena in honor of the Holy Spirit. But um, again, that's typically how a novena works. But uh, our good friend Barbara Swatek and I were remembering a time when she was in the hospital and we knew that she had a long day of a procedure. So we prayed hourly, nine-hour novena to the Holy Spirit in that time. So a novena can really take on different well, yeah. different aspects, but um, it's a private or a public prayer like St. Anthony's Feast Day is coming up this summer, and our parish, St. Anthony's, will pray a novena to St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Total yes, sense. Ma'am. Total Very sense. Good. Very good explanation. Great, great. So uh, we will... I will tag y'all to pray with me on day five as we end this segment. But we have a couple of things to catch up on. Uh, Dennis and Thaddeus and I kind of shared a little bit of our life during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and how the Maka Romanski Como home has navigated through that. But we also um, are aware of a bigger picture and different things that we may not have thought about. Uh, of experiences, and Thaddeus has done a little research and wants to share with our listeners about that. Yeah, I think in our in our household, it's been uh, pretty much business as usual because we're a homeschooling family, and I've been fortunate enough, by the grace of God and the generosity of our listeners, to you know, be in a professional kind of a position where I can work from home. So we haven't seen a whole lot of, of disruption from this event but that's not true for for everyone and it's been uh, very difficult months for many 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 people around the country those who've lost their lives from the, the disease and those who have been affected by the lockdown orders and the loss of employment and uh, there are a lot of people hurting out there and it really uh, came home to me um this last week when I started to come across some articles about the rise in the rate of people uh, taking their own life as a result, uh, or at least in some kind of correlation to the pandemic that we find ourselves in. And uh, it really it, it touched, my, touched my heart in a, in a very noticeable way that other news stories didn't. So I wanted to just take a little bit of time this morning to have you all talk with me about that and, and talk with the, put it out there for the listeners, especially in a, in a Catholic context. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought, I thought apparently severe anxiety has climbed um, many, many percentage points in the last three months substance abuse is on the rise, but we also know that there already has been a uh, problem with substance abuse in this country going back a couple of years now. Uh, One particular mental health uh, professional, a man who founded a foundation called the Man in Recovery, he calls it a pandemic within a pandemic now, Mm. um, that this, the opiate and mental health pandemics are really being exacerbated by mm-hmm. the COVID experience. And 
another mental health nonprofit predicts that perhaps as many as 75,000 of our fellow Americans could perish from what are called deaths of despair. That's suicide, overdose, substance abuse. So these are real um, public health issues that we are experiencing in a, a real exacerbated way in these last several months. Um, so I, I wanted to, to bring up that here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about taking one's own life. Quote, grave psychological disturbances, anguish, or grave fear of hardship, suffering, or torture can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives, and that's Catechism of the Catholic Church 2280 to 2283. Um, something else that I learned was that um, this is from a professor of psychiatry at Cornell, he noted that suicide is a medical problem that is almost always associated with several common and treatable mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, and impulse and substance abuse disorders. He said it is estimated that more than 90% of those who take their own lives have a diagnosable mental disorder. So this is why the news that we hear about severe anxiety growing, uh, depression, isolation, mm -hmm. fear from job loss, all of that is so concerning because we see, we know this medical tie between those uh, conditions and people's propensity to end their own lives. Did you know that the, that the disaster distress hotline, which is a federal disaster hotline, had an 891% increase in calls? from March 2020 over March 2019. Yeah. My goodness. Um, I have, much like you, read uh, a couple of different things over the last couple of weeks, not only um, everything that you've focused on, but um, during a time where um, elective surgeries have been postponed mm -hmm. and possible yeah. um, going to the doctor, um, Our again, our friend, Barbara Swatek was sick last week, and she kept weighing, do I go, do I not? Yeah. And um, right. so there's also, along with everything that you're talking about, going to be a rise of uh, heart conditions and right. other maladies that haven't been. But um, I ultimately would think that all of these uh, situations going on that um, are whether we have anxiety or whether we have depression, our experience um, can be a light to someone else who's mm -hmm. going through that experience. As you mentioned, um, uh, my brother passed away uh, two weeks ago, and there was a three-week time that he was in Houston at MD Anderson, and uh, due to the hospital regulations. We, we couldn't go see him. My sister-in-law, God bless this woman, uh, was there by herself. And um, 
So we had to be uh, unique in ways to support each other and support them. And um, without the grace of God, we would have had a much more difficult experience. And so our our that's where evangelization, that's where this is going to tie in with our guests coming up, up mm-hmm. next door, is our ability to share hope. Yeah, I, I think it's very yeah, critical. I think it's very critical that we all focus on joy and hope. Do something fun. Do something light um, to break up the tension that's going on in your life. That doesn't mean go out and drink a six pack. That means do something. Do something that's that's positive for yourself and step out. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the sunlight. And so, take care of yourself and and know that mental health is just as important as physical health mm. because the two are very very closely tied together. As is spiritual health. And so, you know, at the end of a coronavirus prayer uh, that I recorded for the airwaves, I put in, God bless us in, heal us in mind, body, and spirit. So it's more than just a physical thing that all of us are facing today. It's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And, you know, uh, we, we had that show with Pam Marvin at the beginning of this whole thing about living without fear, living with hope in the beginning of this crisis and it still stays the same folks you've got to live yes with hope and w- yeah. without fear and live your life i wanted to ask i wanted to ask people especially today if you pray the rosary today or you pray a divine mercy chaplet in the coming days please remember those who are contemplating suicide or have committed suicide especially when you pray the fatima prayer of the rosary mm-hmm. or you're praying the divine mercy chaplet and and let's live in a way that helps us to be attentive to people's needs to speak candidly about their troubles yeah and let's try to slow down so that we can take the time to listen i think those are real concrete ways we can be lights to other people like Absolutely. You and about. don't be afraid to reach out to them contact them in whatever way possible you know even if it's standing at a distance from them contact them and reach out to those that are alone Absolutely. And Judy has a prayer that she wants I to do. read. I'd like to uh, close the segment with uh, day five of the Novena to the Holy Spirit. So we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And today we focus on kindness. Let us bow down in humility at the power and grandeur of the Holy Spirit. Let us worship the Holy Trinity and give glory today to the paraclete, our advocate. O Holy Spirit, by your power, Christ raised from the dead to save us all. By your grace, miracles are performed in Jesus' name. By your love, we are protected from evil. And so we ask with humility and a beggar's heart for your gift of kindness. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, we'll be right back for part two, Red Sea Roundup. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, this is going to be the best 40 minutes of your day. I assure you, this is Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como. I want to begin by reminding you this is a live program. We would adore for you to call in with a question or comment about evangelization, about anything, all things Catholic. You could call in at 
855-683-7332. If you're a personal friend of mine, I have my cell phone. You can shoot me a text, and we will go from there. My guest today is Marcel Lejeune, president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. Marcel is the president and founder. He is a Catholic evangelist, international speaker, and award-winning author, Marcel loves to share his great passion, helping others to know the love of Jesus and how to share that love with others. Marcel, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Marcel is the author of The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practical Evangelization. Marcel, good morning. How are you today? Uh, I'm still bald. Oh, well, what happened? You just keep getting taller and taller than your hair. Yes, I outgrew it. <laughs> That's a dad joke for the day. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have been seeing some dad stuff with Father's Day coming up, and because I play the guitar, there's a cool T-shirt that uh, only Tim Condler would appreciate because it's the D chord, the A chord, and the D chord all on a T-shirt. So it says pretty cool. Jeez, oh, you got to be a musician to read the music I to get, get the it. joke. Well, I, I am a musician, and I had to see it twice before I caught on. But uh, So anyways, uh, Marcel, that was such a, a brief introduction of who you are. Um, I would love for you to tell our listeners your uh, name around Bryan College Station and certainly St. Mary's Catholic Center that's familiar, but uh, perhaps our listeners, um, I'd like for you to Tell us a little bit of why is evangelization so important to you, and you've taken the time to write this book and many, many other things. Yeah, I, uh, you know, that's that's a really broad question. Um, <laughs> just a, you know, I'm, I, I would say I'm a, I'm a son of God. I've been uh, brought into the family of God. I'm a member of the Catholic Church. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, that's my real identity. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, my vocation is that I'm a husband and a father of five kids. Um, uh, just now I have two college students and two high school students now, and one, one of them's in junior high. So my kids are getting older. It's strange to watch that, you know, change. Uh, I, for profession, I've, I've worked almost 20 years now in full-time uh, Catholic ministry in different places. Uh, most of my years were spent at St. Mary's, uh, running the day-to-day operations there. Loved it, absolutely loved working in campus ministry, but then three years ago, uh, left, a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago now, left St. Mary's, and uh, for over three years now, I've been running Catholic Missionary Disciples, and, and what we do is I coach Catholic leaders in dioceses and parishes, so I'll take, say, a bishop and his team at a, a diocese or a pastor and his leadership team at a parish. And I coach them for months on how to evangelize, how to do discipleship, how to change your structures, how to, how to uh, you know, really form your organization for the mission of Jesus Christ and his church, and that is to make disciples of all nations. So mm-hmm. how do we do that? And, and, and the, the thing that I've really found, Judy, is that it's, we have created a Catholic culture where we're just okay with being, you know, kind of comfortable, where we're okay with the fact that there might be people who we know who are going to hell. 
that we're okay with the fact that there are folks who don't know Jesus Christ. And I, I just, I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. And that, so I'm not the greatest evangelist. It just really bugs me that somebody I love might not be going to heaven because I really believe heaven and hell are real. I really believe the way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I think everybody's called to be Catholic and, and those things I really believe. So, so I operate in that manner. Um, and, and I've been trying to do that for many years. Now I'm not, like I said, I'm not the greatest evangelist. I know, I know tons of people with better personalities, better charisms and gifts to be able to do it more effectively than me. But the, the thing is I do it because I know and every single one of us, this call and every single one of us has an individual part to play and we can't shirk that. And when I get to heaven, I think one of the questions Jesus is going to ask us is who'd you bring with you? Yes. And it can't just be, well, I lived a really good life, Jesus, and I did, you know, I didn't do the things you told me not to do. He wants to know if you did the things he told you to do. And the final thing he told us to do before he left was to go and make disciples. That's to evangelize. So so this is what I do. I don't just do it professionally. I try to do it in my day-to-day life, and sometimes I fail, and, you know, sometimes I do it okay. Um, yeah. But well, that, that, it is. It's my greatest passion. Yes, uh, I have been around you uh, here, there, and everywhere. I've uh, gone to some of your seminars. I've sat across the poker table with you. And um, I've... You beat me at poker too, Judy. Don't let anybody, you know... Well... You're good. uh, Well, thank you. I I love playing poker. Judy beats everyone at poker. (laughs) I know she does. But I tell you, uh, to go along with what you're saying is I have been at many a poker game that will a side conversation will come up about who I am and calling out Mm -hmm. the language and um, have had someone leaving and mention oh well tomorrow I'm going to the doctor I just found out I have cancer and yeah 10 people from different walks of life will bow their head and we'll pray together Um, just just um Two days ago, I live out in the country, and I go to Snook mm-hmm. when I need something. The Slovakic's meat company is amazing. And yeah, along yeah. with the, the pandemic and the topic of evangelization, and we spoke a little bit earlier about uh, the emotion that people are going through, um, discussing meat prices, and the butcher yeah. kind of explained something to me, and I was like, Okay, first of all, are you a Christian? (laughs) And then we had a basis of where we were going to share our perspective. And um, so much like you, it's very important to me. And much like you, I'm not saying I'm that great at it. I'm just willing to do it. And uh, And, the beginning of your... To me, that's the most important thing. That, That really is the most important thing is that we do it. Not that we're perfect at it. I mean, imagine these knucklehead fishermen <laughs> who Jesus called, these guys, these guys are not perfect at it, but they were obedient to it, right? I mean, Peter was not the greatest orator. Paul had probably had a stutter. He, he had a temper. These guys mixed it up a little bit. They disagreed. They had human flaws and sins and problems, and, and we can't sanitize the saints. We don't want to do that. So here they are. They're like you and me. They're just doing it, though. I mean, at the day of Pentecost, Peter goes out and he preaches the gospel and 3,000 people are baptized. Amen. Why? Because he was open to the power that the Spirit wanted to move through him, not because he was some kind of extraordinary human being in the sense of 
having all the personal gifts and skills and talent and, you know, personality. That wasn't it. And that's what we have to get over, I think. That, that's a big issue for a lot of Catholics is we have these fears, we have these problems that hold us back. And we've got we to get over ourselves to be able to, to understand that God wants to work through every single one of us. The professional Catholic up on a stage, not just the dude on a radio, who, you know, not just Judy Como who really cares. He wants to work through all of us. And, and, and our neighbors and our friends and our family need, need that. They absolutely need it. Right. And uh, to be that example, someone would say, oh, God, you said that to the butcher? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, I did. And mm-hmm. early on yeah. in the pandemic, as we were trying to, okay, do we go to HEB or do we not? And that's another topic of conversation, but mm-hmm. I pay attention. I have prayed mm-hmm. with people in the produce section of HEB who I knew, Amen. and I have seen someone looking upset. Are you okay, ma'am? I just don't know what to think about all of this. And I got mm-hmm. six feet away from her, but I sure prayed with her. And yeah. it is not any, just because it comes naturally to me, Sometimes I think Mm -hmm. other people should be able to do it. That's not the way Mm -hmm. to think about it. The way to think about it is how can I help someone else? And uh, the very beginning of your book kind of explains that. Um, Did you grow up Catholic? And uh, what was your childhood Catholic experience? Yeah, you know, I... I have a story, probably not unlike a lot of other folks, but, but here's where it's a little bit different. I did grow up Catholic in a Same. very Catholic home, and here's, here's where it's different, is that my dad and my mom are like walk-on-water saints. Uh, they're, they're just the, the most amazing Christian disciples you'll ever meet. Um, I mean, my dad in college spent two summers going to Mississippi and Alabama uh, evangelizing with a priest. For two summers where he'd go into the woods in Alabama and Mississippi in the, in the uh, mm-hmm. hills where there were like 1% or less Catholics. And they'd knock door-to-door evangelization and they'd say, hey, we're from the Catholic Church. We're here to you know, talk about uh, the Catholic Church and we're offering what they would call a Catholic revival. So they're speaking the language of the people locally. A Catholic revival on Friday and Saturday nights um, down at the courthouse. And then they gather whoever would, you know, be willing to come. And if there were enough people, they would continue that and send other missionary priests. And ultimately, they established some parishes down there based upon that kind of mission. Mm. Uh, so this was parish planting or church planting. Um, and my dad even got run off by the KKK. Uh, so I imagine you know, is this been, the '60s, the '70s? Oh, this is yeah, it's early. earlier now. It's the '50s. 50s. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is this. You know, this is a, a a tough age in a sense for Catholics in that area. So, so nonetheless, this is a kind of you know. But my dad was voted Catholic Youth of the Nation. Um, um, you know, he's I'll I'll probably never live up to the great uh, parents I have. My mom is the most prayerful woman I've ever met. Um, you know, anyway, that's who I grew up with. But they didn't they they were grew up in South Louisiana, where <laughs> kind of the it was a gumbo of Catholicism, if you will. You know, everybody was Catholic or 90-something percent of people were Catholic. It was assumed you went to church, and most people did, and that you raised your kids in that culture, they end up popping out Catholics as well, right? Well, that's what they did. They did. That happened to them, so then they started raising us in the same way, where, yeah, we prayed 
once in a while. And yeah, we kind of talked about Jesus once in a while, but you know, it wasn't something explicit. And the problem was that wasn't enough to keep us Catholic. And mm-hmm. four out of the five kids from my parents left the church. I, and luckily there's a couple of us now who have returned to faith or, or had conversions and, you know, and that's what ended up happening to me for several years. I had left, I had started drinking. I started chasing girls. I went to Texas A&M for, um, and had a big conversion in the sacrament of confession when I finally decided I wanted something different. And ultimately what ended up happening is I went to confession, got rid of my sin, had that indwelling of grace. And for the first time knew that God was real and that he loved me and that he wanted something for my life. And so I just, in that little church, I, I knelt down and I told Jesus, I want to give you my life. I don't even know what that means, but, mm-hmm. but here it is. I want to give you my life. Yeah. And Interestingly. You know, and, and from that day, you know, it's, it's that change, mm-hmm. that, that that response in faith where it's freely given back to God, I believe in you, is what every human being on this earth needs again and again and again. It's not a one and done, but there's too many people who've never explicitly said to Jesus, I want to I give you my heart. I want to give you my life. Please forgive me. I want to follow you. Yeah. It's like on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when the apostles dropped their nets. They had to make a conscious decision. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and give him everything. Yeah. I think, and I uh, think, but see, that's, that's, a, that's a continuing thing, right? Right, right, exactly. So to the key word in, in your story that came up a couple of times is conversion. Uh, my experience, mm-hmm. uh, my mother was not particularly uh, churched. She was Catholic, met my... Italian father lived a very, uh, to me, there's a quotation marks around an Italian Catholic because it comes with a slap across some area of your body when you're not mm-hmm. <laughs> doing what's correct. But I'm very sure that my grandmother could not read. And I'm sure my father does not did not even know what the catechism of the Catholic Church was. So I mm-hmm. think sometimes... Uh, we educationalize our faith when we have these examples uh, of good Catholic Christian lifestyle. My, my parents raised five kids. Two of us are practicing Catholic now. But uh, guess what? When I was 18 years old, I moved to South Louisiana, where you're talking about, to Lafayette, which mm-hmm. is one of the most Catholic towns you could possibly be in. Thanks be to God. Yep. And uh, we serve a God who waits for those conversions to happen. He's a gentleman and doesn't force himself onto those conversions. But at some point, I met my husband who had a similar upbringing. We were on the relatively, I wouldn't say we were on the same page, but we were on the same chapter and the same book spiritually Mm -hmm. when we met. And we came back here to Bryan and we did experience a beautiful conversion retreat. Um, and here we are today. I uh, think that for me, my experience with youth ministry has kind of gave me a step up into um, a more free evangelization style. Mm-hmm. But again, you can't should on someone. You have to be inviting. You have to, and your your book starts off with your uh, friends down the hallway that invited you into mm-hmm. a uh, prayed you into a uh, conversion experience. Yeah, so so I left out that detail, but what happened was I had I had a group of friends at, at A&M, and 
And these guys actually probably didn't even like me at the time. Um, and, and maybe not even after my conversion, but we'll, we'll get back that, to you on that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened was that, you know, I liked them and because I liked them because half of them were Baptist, half of them were Catholic. They weren't partying. They weren't now they were, you know, 19 year old, stupid college guys. Um, and so they did stupid, fun stuff, but they weren't doing things that were immoral. Right. I mean, they were just goofy kind of goofy stupidity. And I, I was really attracted to that because they seemed happy yeah. and they seemed like they had something I didn't have. And so I started talking to them and realizing they had this depth of meaning in their life that came from God that I didn't have. And I never recognized it. And so when they invited me, they said, man, you could really use some church. These guys actually didn't even really know they were evangelizing me. They just knew this guy's a kind of an obnoxious jerk, um, and he could probably use some God who could fix him. And so they said, you ought to go back to church. And I did and ended up going on this retreat, which, you know, that's ultimately where my conversion happened. But, but they were the impetus that drove that by inviting me and saying, you know, this would be good, I think, for you. And I took them up on it. And, you know, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. and, and, and these are guys I still pray for every day of my life. Um, uh, even though we don't talk a whole lot, they're guys I pray for every single day of my life and Thanksgiving, but also for their intentions now. Um, so, so here's the thing. It, it doesn't take some kind of, you know, street corner preacher. Um, you know, it doesn't take door to door evangelization to change somebody's life. It's investing in a human being where there's real relationship and offering something else to them. Mm -hmm. And, and in today's world, you really got to win the trust of people before they're going to listen to you because we're so distrusting of others and we, we lack relationship and community in most places. We, we live Judy in the loneliest culture that has ever existed. The loneliest culture that has ever existed. We just have not built community. Uh, you know, literally most people don't know their neighbors. Um, they don't talk to them. Uh, the people who live next door to them, most people don't talk to them regularly, don't have a relationship with them. So how are we supposed to love our neighbor as Jesus commanded us to when we literally don't know? Don't even know who they are. Uh, yeah. I want to yeah. uh, remind so, our listeners that I'm talking with uh, Marcel Lejeune. We are discussing all things uh, evangelization. Uh, we're going to divine evangelization in just a moment. If you could call in with a comment or a question for Marcel, you could do so at 855 683-7332 that's 85 love red sea or uh, you can text me or contact Dennis or anything like that um, so Marcel I, I really like to uh, take a step back from those of us who are speaking the same language and kind of let's identify uh, define evangelization in a way that this might be falling on ears that are hearing it for the first time can you help me do that? Yeah. So evangelization, Pope Paul VI has a really good definition of evangelization. And I'm going to put it in my own words, though, okay? Yeah. But basically, what evangelization is, is living and saying the things that we are in the way we're supposed to in order to bring about conversion. So it's bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to bear in another person's life 
so that they have an opportunity to be converted. Now, what does now now we got to define what conversion is? Okay, mm-hmm. conversion is a radical reorientation of life where one places their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so radical reorientation of life where one places their faith in Jesus. So, evangelization is trying to do all we can to get somebody to the point of having a radical reorientation of their life so that they place their faith in Jesus. That's what it is. And that's what it's always been. We see this throughout the early church. We see it in the book of Acts, where, you know, the story of the jailer, where Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Paul is miraculously freed from prison, right? We also have a story of Peter being miraculously freed, but here we're going to talk about the one from Paul. And and they, he asks, what, what should I do? What do I need to do to be saved? He says, repent, believe, and be baptized. Okay, now, now here's the thing. Most people listening to this show have been baptized, right? I mean, we're going to talk probably 99%, maybe 100% of the people who are listening to this show have probably been baptized. We still have the sacraments that are happening for somebody who would listen to Catholic radio. So, so the baptism's already taken place. But that baptism... The graces that are received, they work, right? They changed you. But that grace is not magic. It's not going to continue to operate within your life if you don't consent to it. Again, you said it earlier, right? Uh, God's a gentleman. He's not yes. going to force. So he's not going to change your heart without your consent. And he, he wants to change your heart, but you have to give him consent. You, he has to, you have to give him your yes. That's what faith is. It's the choice to say yes. I want this grace to change me, and I'm open to allowing it to be so. Of course, our yes is not going to be perfect all the time, right? And sometimes we're going to have bigger change, but the goal is conversion of heart. That's what we're trying to help people do. Now, there's an initial conversion, like the one I had in college, right, where that first time I said yes. But Catholics don't believe in a one-and-done conversion, right? It's ongoing. It's moment-to-moment. It's day-to-day. Yes, I'm, I'm called to be converted in little ways today. So converted away from my sin into grace, converted from death to life, converted to evangelizing and sharing this good news with other people, because ultimately that's what we're sharing is the fact that Jesus Christ has died and risen again so that you and I can go to heaven, but he waits on us to say yes to him. That's good news. Yes, it right? is. And good news is in contrary to the bad news. The bad news is that we can't save ourselves, that hell exists, and that's where we're destined to go without Jesus. And we have to know this. So if this is all true, then what could be more important? Why would I not share this? And who in my life am I called to start to enter into a deeper relationship with so I can earn the right to be heard so that I can share these things? To give my testimony, to to preach the good news, that gospel message, to be able to invite a response of prayer and faith and repentance. These are the things that we're all called to do. And 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 the church has always taught this. I think though, in the consciousness of the of the the modern church in the West. So we were talking, let's talk United States, right? Mm-hmm. We have created a culture where we're more more concerned with maintaining the institutional structures the budgets of parishes and dioceses and hospitals and other things, and kind of maintaining all this status quo rather than going out and helping save the world for Jesus. And we have to get over ourselves to be able to do that. So right. a couple I, of I things that really you need a conversion. Of... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. No, I think we need a conversion as a community of Catholics sure. in a sense too, um, to change some what of What I've stuff. been thinking of as you were uh, 
answering my question um, is that I, I am amazed. I know that this happens, as you stated. You can be contacted by a bishop who says, mm-hmm. I want to work on my diocese. And you can be contacted mm-hmm. by a pastor who says, mm-hmm. uh, I want to work on my parish. And yeah. <laughs> you can be contacted and decide you're going to have, oh, we're a dynamic parish. And guess what? Mm-hmm. That's insulting to the parish. Oh, you don't think we're good parish already, but that's another discussion. But mm-hmm. the true effective way or another effective way, because, wow, what it must be like to be in a diocese where the bishop has this vision or the pastor has this vision mm-hmm. or your pastoral council has a person who has a vision uh, for the evangelization commission. Those are all wonderful mm-hmm. things. How often does that happen? But going back to your uh, description of the sacrament of baptism, how many people mm-hmm. who are in the pews, even though it's only 25 percent, know that when I was baptized, I received that baptismal call. And it's more than once every three years when we have that gospel and he says, go and make disciples, that anybody in the pews thinks, oh, they're talking to me. And how do we mm-hmm. put that into our day-to-day? How do we have that because of our call at baptism? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so here's the thing is that I, I think there needs to be a radical reorientation because you're right. Um, here, here's, here's what I, here, let me tell you some good news that okay. I found because there, we could talk about the bad news and I'll give you a little bit of that first, a little bit of bad news for every one adult Catholic that enters the Catholic church in the United States, six leave. So we're losing every year, six times more, uh, people, adults than we are gaining. That is a shrinking church. That is a diminishing church. And if we continue to operate in the same manner in which we operate, both at the local, the, the diocesan, and at the national level, then what we're doing is we're managing decline, okay? Not even maintenance, not even just status quo. We're managing, because the status quo right now is decline. We're managing losing souls. We're managing people that more and more that are going to be lost. That's what we're doing. And we have to realize it. It's, and, and I think what's happening is there's been a wake-up call in the last 15 years or so uh, because the data cannot be denied anymore. It's overwhelming. And books like Sherry Waddell's Forming, Forming Intentional yes. Disciples, in her first two chapters, she laid out the argument in such a compelling way that it can't be argued with. And, and her answer was, we have to go make disciples. Okay, that's always the answer, right? If you want to if you want a, a parish that's alive, go make disciples and teach them to do the same. If you want more money coming in the, the plate, go and make disciples and teach them to do the same. Because who gives? Disciples. If you need more volunteers, go and make disciples and teach them to do the same. If you want, if you want to help people go to heaven, go make disciples. It fixes all our major issues. But most people, that this goes for priests, bishops, people who work for the church, etc., have not been walked with, accompanied, taught, formed, mentored into how do we actually do this. So what we've done is we've, we've relied upon programs, events, um, classes, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but, but they don't teach relationship in depth. 
they don't teach you how to explicitly do this in your or as a lifestyle rather than an event or program. And that's where the change needs to happen. So what I do is I come alongside people like a bishop. And yeah, I'm, I'm blessed because I get to train bishops and priests and others. Um, and, and it's really humbling. But, but what I've learned, Judy, in the last three years is, uh, you know, and one of my good friends, he's, he's an He's the kind of guy, he's an advisor to me. He's, he's a bit of a mentor to me. This, this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but, but he doesn't live in the United States, but he's an internationally known evangelist who literally gets put on Vatican commissions, okay? And, and he and I have become real good friends. And he asked me one time, what's the biggest thing you've learned in your work with Catholic leaders? And what I answered was this. We cannot take for granted just how basic we have to get with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cannot assume that the person I'm even working with, whether that's a bishop or priest, is already an intentional disciple of Jesus. Now, some people are offended when they first hear that. Yes. Okay. They're like, hey, I'm baptized. I went to Catholic school. I've always gone to church. Okay. But none of those things make you an intentional disciple. So what makes you an intentional disciple? An intentional disciple is somebody, like we talked about earlier, who has had a conversion where they have intentionally and freely chosen to put Jesus at the center of their life and continue to do so. That means they've had that conversion. And what we know based on statistics that have come from interviews with Catholic leaders is that we're talking barely in the general Catholic population of the people who go to Mass every Sunday— single-digit percentage of those people are intentional disciples. This means we not only need to evangelize outside the church, we need to evangelize in the pews next to us. Because if we assume the person sitting next to us in church is already had a conversion, already following Jesus, then we're doing them a disservice by making that assumption because then we won't evangelize them. We won't reach out to them. We won't try to seek their good. We won't try to help them to have that. Uh, that conversion in grace that they, they need. Oh, and, I... and this is the kind of mentality that we need to start to operate with. You know, I, I will tell you, at St. Mary's, when I worked there, the thing that changed St. Mary's most was a conversation we had at a staff meeting. And this was the question I asked. And this question, probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago now, um, this question I proposed to the staff, I said, what if we stopped operating as if everybody goes to church, mm. everybody who volunteers and is active, everybody who's in a leadership position, and everybody even who works on this staff, what if we stopped operating as if they were all disciples already and started to assume they weren't? What would we change? From there, the conversation started to go to, okay, how do we seek conversion of everybody? How do we reach out to the masses? And things like, our Jesus is Lord, um, you know, where we started to explicitly preach the gospel. Um, we brought in focus missionaries. We started to, to operate in a different manner, to have different language in our culture. And we needed it because at college campuses, we're getting fewer and fewer kids who are just going to come to us, right? And what does the Great Commission say? Go, Go. and make disciples. Yeah. You can't sit in your Catholic bubble of a safe little Catholic parish and your safe Catholic friends and think, I'm evangelizing. Well, along with Because if uh... you don't know the laws, you don't. You can't. Yes, evangelize. exactly. And along with the assumption that they're dis, they're disciples, we know. Mm-hmm. I mean, hardly a week goes by that something doesn't remind us of the belief in the 
true presence in the Eucharist of Catholics. Yeah. So that's another yeah. uh, disappointing or uh, it's an opportunity also to teach what we truly believe. Uh, and Marcel, from our yeah. exciting uh, and from your passion, uh, I assume you can tell us how you decided to write this book, The Contagious Catholic in the Art of Practical yeah. Evangelization. For me personally, I have underlined and earmarked page 15 because it exemplified what's going on in my Bible study right now. And I, I don't want to move too quickly without us talking about evangelization in the world right now with the opening back up and the mm-hmm. reawakening of parishes. But the, uh, the paragraph that has been on my mind and conversations with my Bible buddies is, evangelization is not something we check off a list. It's not just meeting once a week at a church to do a book study. It's not just bringing someone to a conference once in a while. Rather, we want to be real friends to others and to intimately share in one another's lives. That means we care for those around us, like you said, our neighbors. We want to know their hearts. Once this happens, others will want to know our hearts as well. What they should find there in your heart is what they've always been looking for, and that is Jesus Christ. And uh, what is so wonderful about your book is that it encompasses lots of things, and then it slows down. It asks a couple of questions of self-reflection, and then it moves on into the next phase of Mm -hmm. learning more about evangelization, and I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. You know what's funny? Sometimes you read something. I haven't read that since I wrote the book, um, and I was reading it with you because I didn't know what was on page 15. Um, (laughs) So, so I'm reading along with it going, Hey, that's pretty good. So, so see, God can work through even me. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is a good editor can make you sound even smarter. How about that? So, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about the book. Let me tell you, first of all, let's, let's deal with the elephant in the room, the title, uh, the contagious Catholic, which is put out in the midst of a, a pandemic. Okay. So that title was selected well over a year ago. Um, and, you know, we had a, another title for a while, and, and we changed this to this title because the marketing gurus, they know better than I do. So, you know, it, we didn't intend to do that. Let's put it that way, okay? Uh-huh. So it's not like we were aiming to do it in the midst of a pan- trying to profit off a pandemic. It was, <laughs> it's an old title. But the point of it is that we need to be, in a sense, contagious, that our faith, our life, our joy kind of spills out to others, right? And, and, and you know, what you were you were talking about when you were reading that to me, you know, that you, you invest in the lives of others and they know your heart and you know, theirs. And I, I'm, I literally, while you're reading it, I'm thinking of the people that I love and I'm investing in my friends, my brothers, particularly, you know, these, these men that live in this local community, mm-hmm. um, who, who I'm investing in deeply because, you know, and, and each one of us can only invest, deeply in a handful of people, right? But that's the model of Jesus. And this is what a lot of people don't get, right? They look at the problems in the world. Here's, and this is what I tell pastors as well, or a bishop. I say, okay, let's talk to you, bishop, for a second. I say, bishop's got a big problem, doesn't he? He's got a declining diocese, because it doesn't matter where you are, your, your diocese is in decline. You've you got a declining diocese in the sense of 
we're not getting as many adult baptisms. We're not getting, you know, the numbers that we ought to. We're losing people. And he's got a problem because when he gets to heaven, he's got to answer for that, right? For all those people, not just the ones who go to church, but for every soul in his territory. Mm-hmm. He, he has, that's a big problem. So Jesus had a bigger problem. He had to save the whole world. And I say, so what's your strategy if you're Jesus and you got to save the whole world for all time? Every soul that's ever existed, you have to give an opportunity to go to heaven. How are you going to do it? Well, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have a big TV studio, you know, and I'm going to have it, or <laughs> I'm going to use the internet and I'm going to use all these modern communication strategies to get the message out, right? You got to get the message out. You got to get it in people's hands. We're going to have a big events. We're going to have programs. We're going to, you know, marketing campaigns and everything else. And that's how the church operates today. That's what we do. We think in this way. But what did Jesus do? He went to backwater Judea. He walked around for 30 years quietly, just living a good life, growing in knowledge and passion and intimacy with the Father as a human, right? You know, but also as God, he's also got this power, the power to save. And the way he chooses to teach us as this church to go out and do it is he, he finds 12 guys, one of them who will eventually walk away. Not, not educated, not the most powerful, but normal men, average guys. He invests in them. And in the Gospels, during the three years of his ministry, he spends 75% of his time with those three guys. 75% of his time with those 12 guys, excuse me. And, and sometimes when he wants to get real intimate, he goes with three. Right? Mm-hmm. So Peter, James, and John, and sometimes Andrew gets to come along as well. But he really, three or four guys, very intimate with, intimate with 12, and spends all, most of his time with them. And then he preaches to the crowds, yes. He heals other people, yes. He talks to others. He has friends outside of that 12, but most of his time's with that 12. So, but what he does is he teaches them to do the same thing, and we see the result. John, St. John, the apostle, he has Ignatius of Antioch, who's one of the church fathers, right? We see that, that Peter has St. Mark, who is the author of the gospel. We see each one of these apostles has others who've been disciples, that they mentor. They're apprenticing under these men, and they know each other, and they know their faults and their gifts, but they're following and learning and growing together in intimacy and passion. That's what discipleship communities ought to look like. No, we can't spend as much time as Jesus did, you know, like full time, 75 percent of your time is literally going camping with with three, du- you know, 12 dudes for three years. You know, we're not going to do it that way, but we can spend a few hours a week. We can call people every week, be in contact with them. We can have a handful of folks that we're intimately investing in. And that that's what I try to do. And it's, you know, you can only do a few at a time and that's OK. But now that. But you do that for several years, and then you send them out. Let them go do it with others. That's the model that ultimately changed the world within a few generations. Why do we think it's not going to happen now? It was revealed by Jesus to be the strategy of the church, and now we operate like that revelation doesn't work. Absolutely. Marcel, I I knew that our time was going to fly by and uh, that it has, but uh, we have about two minutes left, and I want you to— let our listeners know uh, how to how to find the book and how to uh, contact you. Um, 
And if you're a bishop mm-hmm. listening and you want Marcel to come and start walking with you, let let our listeners know a lot of your contact information and um, as we close out the show. Yeah, first of all, you want the book, you can get it on Amazon or from Ascension Press. Um, if you want to know more about Catholic Missionary Disciples and our work with Catholic leaders in the parishes and dioceses, you can go to catholicmissionarydisciples.com. That has contact information. We're always looking for new donors as well. We are a nonprofit. Um, you know, I got to make the pitch because nonprofits are hurting right now um, because of the pandemic. So if, if you're looking for some a good ministry to support, we're always taking that. And, and I just ask everybody to pray for us as well, um, because the leaders of the Catholic Church right now are, are at a, a new place. And here's the thing. They're not asking what we need to do. They're not asking um, why we need to do it. They're asking how to do it. They know we need to change some things. They know we need to evangelize. They know we need to have conversion deeper personally and as a community. So pray for our leaders and, and pray for yourself, you know, if you feel a little bit of a call. And, and that's what I'd, I'd say right now. Why don't we just, you know, stop and say a little prayer for everybody listening, Judy. Let's do it. Okay, cool. in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I, I thank you for all those who are listening, and I pray for for them and the choices they make to follow you. If they have never chosen to follow you before, Lord, I, I pray for them that they can hand over their hearts to you. And if they have previously done so, that they can be done in a deeper way. But no matter what, Lord, in this encounter with you, may your grace be abundant. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.